At Behind the Seed Podcast, we explore the changing ways we feed the world. We talk tech, research and how it will affect paddocks near you. I'm Bridget Smith, a former rural journalist and your host. It's not just an aesthetic, it's a, a financial imperative to take control of weeds in the farming systems, not only with uh, crop production but in animal production as well. Uh, for weeds do uh, impose great cost to the industries, not only in loss production but in the cost of actually dealing with the, the control. From growing up in the northern suburbs of Sydney to a lifelong career helping growers battle weeds on their farms, it's an unlikely tale of life on the land for Andrew Somervale, an agricultural consultant for Jubilee Consulting. Forty years on and he is still in the weed control business and couldn't think of life anywhere else. Weed control has changed dramatically over the years and Andrew has had a front row seat in seeing it evolve. From drone technology to the development of herbicide tolerant sorghum crops. It's just the beginning for an industry that has become innovative and adaptable. The younger generation is bringing a lot to the industry too. A largely tertiary educated farmer, Andrew Somervale says they are forward thinking with identifying problems and looking for solutions, a prospect he finds exciting to work with. So Andrew, how does a boy from the northern suburbs of Sydney end up spending his life on the land? Well, it probably started in my very early years spending time on my uncle's property out near Narromine in New South Wales and uh, taking a li- liking to the um, open air and the, and the um, cropping and uh, animal production that was going on there and so it was a natural extension having spent quite a few school holidays out in that region to want to have a life's work that involved agriculture. So what did your family think when you packed up and moved to the country for university? Oh, I was a bit of the odd person out really in the family because most of my other siblings, in fact all of them, stayed in the city and certainly my parents did too. So I was the uh, the one sent out to the, the frontier, I guess, and I represented uh, the family in that way. So whereabouts did you decide to do university and, and what did you study? Well, I went to the University of New England in Armidale and the main reason for going there at the time was that it was out of the city. So that was a, a very important draw card. The other thing about the course which was a Bachelor of Rural Science was that it was uh, one that covered all uh, agricultural disciplines and it meant at the time that I wasn't required to specialise in any one particular area and uh, in that way I felt that would be uh, more flexible at the end when I completed the studies to to enter into whatever uh, form of agriculture that was presented to me at the time. So Andrew how did you come to work then in the weed control area? Well it was a bit by accident really because My final year project was in the area of cattle production and I was much more interested in that at the time. But in 1979 there were very few opportunities for people with tertiary qualifications to enter into the uh, animal industries and that would have been mostly in departments of agriculture, CSRO, etc. So really I took the first job that was offered to me which was with a multinational chemical company in uh, in December of 1979 thinking that that might be an interim activity for two or three years and uh, I would move on from there. But as it turns out I was there for 18 and a half years and and had a great liking for working with plants and crops in a diverse uh, agricultural systems. How important is weed control in the business of farming? It's not just an aesthetic, it's a a financial imperative to take control of weeds in uh, the farming systems, not only with 
uh, crop production but in animal production as well for weeds do uh, impose great cost to the industries not only in loss production but in the cost of actually dealing with the, the control of those weeds and also in some cases the contamination that can uh, takes place as far as the uh, uh, weeds are concerned. Do farmers value um, the importance of weed control? Well I think so because not only has it got a, an economic bottom line for many farmers of course the appearance of weeds on their property is something that reflects on their their management and so I think there is a certain amount of pride associated with maintaining a farm with good weed control and so there's not only just the economic side of things but also the reflection on the overall farmer's ability to to manage his property. How has farmers' focus on weed control changed over the 40 years you've been in the, indus- in the industry? Well, it's changed great, uh, greatly in sophistication. I can still remember going onto a farm uh, southwest of Narromine in 1980 and a farmer breathlessly telling me about how this new product that he'd been using for the first time had uh, done wonderful things in his wheat crop. And he was talking about 2,4-D. So I know he wasn't one of the early adopters. In that uh, time, in 1980, in the Central West New South Wales, there was probably only three or four herbicide products that uh, were available and used on a regular basis. At that stage, the uh, glyphosate product, Roundup at the time, was just being uh, used for the first time by broadacre farmers. And uh, since then, of course, there's been a a plethora of uh, products being used. And even now, with the maturity in the number of products that have been brought to the market, there's been a uh, reuse and uh, repositioning of some of the older products and, and they're being used uh, again in a different uh, format now in uh, 2019 to what they were originally used. What difference can weed control make to the productivity of a farm? Ultimately it, it means that uh, the less weeds that are grown the more water and nutrients are available to a crop or a pasture in the, as it may be and so by maintaining good weed control it provides not only those uh, opportunities to crop but provides greater flexibility. There are many weeds that when they reach a certain density or infestation on a farm really preclude the choice of certain crops and so if for example you have uh, feathertop roads grass that becoming very uh, prolific on a particular um, field or uh, crop landscape there are some crops that it's just not wise to uh, use in that sit, uh, in that setting. So by controlling some of these important weeds, it does give you a lot more choices as to what crops you might be able to uh, grow on a particular paddock. Going back historically, have the different generations perceived weed control differently? I think so, because one of the things, and it's still sometimes uh, a factor now, is that weeds that are visible from the, the road receive a greater attention than those ones that may be hidden in a crop. For example, there were there's a great aversion to people having turnip weed, which has a bright yellow flower. And you can have farmers who are, uh, become obsessed, I guess, over a, a small number of yellow flowers sticking above a crop, whereas in reality there are uh, problems that are much more serious to their, uh, their crop productivity that might be present that aren't visible. So there's still that aspect of weeds having an aesthetic effect on their uh, their crop or their farm I should say rather than those that might be more important to productivity and I think there is a, a much greater realisation that just because you can see something from a distance doesn't mean it's a problem and conversely a, a weed that you can't see from a distance can be much more of a problem so I think people are much more analytical and observant of things that are actually a threat to their productivity. 
is it a fine line, I guess, to, to draw when it becomes a threat to productivity? How do they know when there's too much? Or Well, I think oftentimes it's when the header goes into the paddock and they come across an area where there's very little crop uh, in an area or very thin crop and the cogs start turning and, and people start asking, well, why is this so? And uh, that's often, unfortunately, the first time people start to realise that they have a serious problem. The other time might be when... They're trying to either spray or cultivate a field and find that uh, after they've finished uh, that operation, there's areas that still remain green or uh, there are weeds that remain uncontrolled and there's a very visual uh, cue as to things they need to put into place to try and avoid that problem in the future. Behind the Seed podcast is proudly brought to you by Pacific Seeds, breeding, producing and supplying leading broadacre seed solutions. Andrew, to understand weed control, it's always good to look at its history. Um, Sorghum only started being grown on a broad scale in the 1970s. How did farmers implement weed weed control during this time? Some of it was a little before my time, but uh, a lot of it would have relied on products such as 2,4-D and in the early days, uh, Torden 50-D, as it would have been then, and of course, inter-row cultivation for those who are row croppers. Uh, I think it's fair to say, however, there were probably uh, some weeds that weren't as serious a problem as they are now present, such as the grasses. Uh, There was the introduction of atrazine that certainly did help uh, grass weed control at that early stage of the production system. Uh, But those weeds have become more problematic than some of the old weeds like burrs and thorn apple, which were probably the main things that people uh, were concerned about in the early days of sorghum production, at least in uh, southern Queensland. In the 1980s, um, it proved to be quite progressive with weed control with the development of Juul, which was a pre-emergency herbicide. How did it change the game? Well, for starters, people were finding at that early stage that grass weed control wasn't being reliably provided by atrazine applied pre-emergence. So Juul was a great tool to be introduced at the time. It gave another mode of action, not that the people were concerned about that at the time. They were more concerned about the lack of control being provided by their existing uh, weed control measures. What some of the biggest threats that um, grain growers face in regards to weeds? Well, I think grain growers uh, have a a variety of threats, but in my opinion, I think grasses are the things that test us most because being similar to the crop, if we're talking about cereal crops, uh, we've got a rather smaller number of options to provide control, selective control at least, in, in our Uh, cereal crops. So with the onset of weed resistance, more so in winter crops and and summer crops, we found ourselves reliant on a a shrinking number of herbicides for grass weed control. Now that's not to diminish the importance of broadleaf weeds, but in fairness we have a much greater range of um, broadleaf weed selective herbicides available to us. As we know, technology has changed farming systems. What's been the biggest change that you've seen? One of the biggest changes I've seen is the spray distribution or or application area. Back in 1980, there were mostly fairly rudimentary sprayers available. And I can remember going onto some farms where nozzles were welded into the homemade galvanised pipe. We have burn widths widths of uh, 12 or maybe even 15 metres being the norm uh, with today's self-propelled sprayers with vastly increased capacity to spray large areas in short periods of time. We've seen the aspect of timeliness being much more uh, 
easily dealt with than it would have been in the past where you had a maybe a ground-driven sprayer uh, having a capability of maybe 40 or 50 acres an hour if you were lucky to one now where you can look well in excess of 150 hectares uh, in a morning, maybe more. Tracking of sprayers, we very much relied on manual systems for uh, tracking sprayers, whether it was through a disc um, or a foam marker to one which relies on electronics and GPS and uh, self-steering of, um, of self-propelled sprays having a vast impact on the efficiency and accuracy of spray applications these days. And you can put on top of that spray controllers, the controllers that uh, regulate the flow to different nozzles. Diversity of nozzles available now that deliver a range of uh, spray characteristics that are suitable for the situation at hand. Put all those things together and you've had a vast difference, a vast change in the capability of people to apply pesticides uh, in a very efficient way in uh, 2019. How has it improved the accuracy? Well, very much so. In the old days, of course, where people even uh, judged swath um, matching by eye and they relied either on a phone marker or in some cases a guess, guesswork. It wasn't uncommon to have overlaps of 5 to 10%, especially in uh, irregularly shaped fields and now we've got 2.5 centimetre accuracy GPS so that allows exact swath matching and not only that where you do get irregular field shapes you can have uh, swath control that allows uh, spray equipment to be switched off um, when you do get into overlap areas which otherwise would have been over over sprayed maybe twice even three times in a traditional system which relied on visual uh, aids only. Pacific Seeds has developed a seed that is tolerant to herbicides. How will this change things for farmers? Well, for starters, it, it introduces a, another mode of action into the grain sorghum production system that hasn't been available presently. And really, when you think about it, it's a mode of action that's rarely used in our summer production systems anyway because of the small number of crops that are tolerant uh, to that mode of action that are grown in the summer production systems. In the first instance, it provides an opportunity to use herbicides with the, the Group B mode of action in sorghum and to provide control of otherwise uncontrollable weeds such as Johnson grass in a uh, sorghum. But it also means that for people who've used the same mode of action in a fallow in the prior period leading up to sorghum, they have a, uh, some protection against carryover of herbicides that might have been used in a, in a previous part of the production system. And that's been a great burn for people in 2018-19 where uh, certain herbicides were used in the fallow in 2017-18. Uh, uh, the areas were not uh, returned to winter crop and they were returned to summer crop. And this uh, technology allowed those people to plant sorghum with, uh, with confidence, uh, knowing that the sorghum would not be adversely affected by herbicide carryovers. What does the future of weed control in sorghum look like? Well, I think um, there are some other technologies that are around the corner um, that would enable the use of other modes of action of herbicides uh, to be used in sorghum. At present, we're really uh, confined to probably two pre-emergent modes of action. That's the group C or atrazine, terbiothylazine, and group K, which is uh, dual or metolachlor. Uh, with the sentinel sorghum, we have the uh, use of some of the group B herbicides, particularly intervix as a post-emergence over the top of sorghum. But some of the other technologies that are available uh, and innovations that have been brought in by 
some of the seed companies will allow other herbicides uh, to be utilised which are presently uh, not suitable for use in sorghum. They might be suitable for use in corn and that's one of the things in Australia that we find ourselves uh, in a fairly difficult situation because corn being such a, a large crop on a worldwide basis means that many herbicides that are developed for corn aren't suitable for sorghum. Um, but for us in Australia, sorghum's a much more valuable summer cereal crop. And for that reason, we've been left up till now with a very small number of uh, uh, possibilities for selective pre-emergence control in those crops. Andrew, just to wrap it up, if, um, if you were to look back on your career, what's been the highlights for you? Well, every year is different. And I think and um, one of the things that really excites me, I suppose, is seeing the change in the farming landscape. Uh, but increasingly now we see a younger generation, and as you mentioned in the introduction, that are mostly or very often tertiary qualified. And that's brought a curiosity, if you like, to um, the farming system that perhaps wasn't there when people relied on tradition very much and there's a lot of good traditions of course but there is a, a need to be always curious about the way things are being done at the present and looking for over the horizon for things that might be emerging and for dealing with existing problems as well and I see that readiness to embrace change uh, as being one of the more uh, exciting things and the highlight of my time having seen a transition from a very traditional based farming system, uh, based uh, on inherited wisdom and to one that is evidence-based where people are looking uh, out there, um, anticipating problems and finding solutions to those problems. This podcast is brought to you by Pacific Seeds, grain sorghum hybrid solutions for all growing environments.